This next five year window is when you don't go practical and safe. This is not the time to get the job mom wanted you to. This is the time to realize that you have a five year window, and it's three for some, it's eight for others, but this is a five year window for you to attack the life that you want to win and go and travel and learn. Go and start that business that you've always wanted. Hook up with those three teammates and start that band you've always wanted. This is the time to be massively risk. So I'm here with Agnès. So Agnès, could you please uh, introduce you maybe in 20 seconds? So I am Agnès Hugo. Mm -hmm. I'm a French citizen. Uh, I came to Singapore about two years and a half ago and I started my own fintech uh, adventure. What do you do exactly? With your, with we, are, uh, we are building a digital platform based on distributed ledger, uh, and we want to uh, fill the, the hole of uh, the supply chain and the trade finance. We want to automatize the supply chain mm -hmm. in order to allow for SMEs to trade uh, safely in, a, in, in an automated way. Okay, all around the world? Uh, it could be anywhere. Okay. Uh, you just what you need is an access, so essentially uh, your mobile or uh, your computer okay. get uh, authenticated by the system, mm -hmm. and then you can trade with someone which is at the other side of the world. Doesn't doesn't matter where you are. The only thing is you need to be properly authenticated. Great. So the the main purpose of uh, of this interview is your testimonial about the sub, the the the, the subprime crisis because you was deeply involved on it. So could you please tell us more how it was? And, uh... Uh, sure. Uh, <laughs> so for me, the, the crisis started uh, in October 2008, uh, just uh, two weeks after Lehman, Lehman Brothers. Okay. Um, but uh, effectively, the Lehman Brothers uh, collapse. I was not in London at that time. I was diving in the Maldives. <laughs> so I guess when I came back, I had a bit of a, a shock uh, because I was reading the newspapers uh, in, uh, in the flight. I was going back to, to Spain at that time. I, I was working for an, Asla an Icelandic bank okay. and I was heading the, uh, the Spanish uh, branch. And uh, when I took my flight, I was like, there is something wrong. <laughs> there is something wrong. So essentially, we last uh, just two more weeks after Lehman Brothers. Uh, then it was the turn of the Icelandic banks. Okay. So all of a sudden, uh, just imagine you're, you're working normally. Mm -hmm. I was doing a restructuring for big Spanish corporates. Mm -hmm. I was leading a banking pool, uh, almost six or seven banks. Okay. And also, all of a sudden, you get a call from uh, your London uh, headquarters, basically saying, just stop, we are bust. <laughs> So you're like, what do you mean we are bust? I am in the middle of a restructuring. I can't let them down, mm. down right? So I was supposed to present in the afternoon in front of uh, the management, the banking pool, and you know the investors, uh, a, a few things, very nasty things. And I was told to drop everything. Whoa. So then it was just like the soft keeper. So I got a few phone calls from my colleagues, basically uh, all in tears. Uh, three out of four were putting their house for sale. Okay. So usually it starts like this, you know, you have a big commotion. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the corporate is bust. You don't really understand what that means for a bank because essentially it's not because you have some issues that your borrowers are not going to repay you. 
because they are supposed to pay interest yeah. every month, right? <laughs> so cash-wise, you still get cash. Uh, but you are preempted from operating. Mm -hmm. And essentially in London, um, there was a freezing order. Mm -hmm. All the assets of all the Icelandic banks were frozen by the English government. So we could not have access to uh, the office. We could not even use uh, our credit cards, okay. corporate credit cards. We could not even use the, the, the taxi uh, phone number. It was not working anymore for us. So all of a sudden, you start to realize that uh, you're left behind without any proper instructions. Okay. So I had to leave my flat. <laughs> I had to go and buy another suitcase. Um, I wasn't sure I could come back. So effectively, what you do is just like, it's the last day, uh, you have to go back to London. Okay. Uh, you need to take all your files with you. Okay. And you're saying goodbye to everyone saying, no worries, I will be back. Okay. But deep inside, you just don't know whether they will <laughs> authorize you to be back. Okay. So we had a big subsidiary uh, in Spain, and they were also very concerned about what was going on because they were essentially, uh, you know, b behind the parent company. Um, uh, so that's the the things that I remember. Uh, the second step was I was back. I came back. I managed to come back about a week later. And, so you, uh, went, you went back in London? We, we, I went back to London. Okay. Uh, we had a chat with uh, our colleagues because okay. we didn't know what was going on. Okay. We didn't know what the Icelandics had done. Uh, we didn't know why the regulator was after us. Okay. Uh, so it was a big crisis. I went to talk to uh, an international law firm specializing okay. in litigation because we didn't know how much time would be just wiped out. Okay. And uh, in the London headquarters, we were almost 300 people. Okay. So about 80 people with the corporate banking. Uh, let's say 50 people with uh, commercial banking, and the rest was just like um, M&A. Okay. So service okay. broker. Mm -hmm. These guys, they were gone in a month. <laughs> gone. So a company which had been because no more, on, no, no more, no more cash, okay. no, no more cash, no yeah. more projects. Okay. Nobody wanted to pay anymore. Gone. Okay. This uh, company was uh, maybe 120 years old. Um, it was gone with the wind. The banking side was more complicated because we had um, a nice portfolio of loans. Mm -hmm. Of course, they were paying interest. At some point, they didn't want to pay anymore, but we were chasing them. And we had to put uh, a business plan together to see whether we should sell, uh, you know, fire sell the assets, or whether we should keep going and make the most of the value because at that time everything was trading at 50% of value. Mm. It was a okay. massive panic. Wow. All around Europe it was a massive panic for uh, banks' assets. Everyone wanted to do the same thing, sell down their portfolios. I couldn't imagine how was it. <laughs> uh, so essentially uh, a month after that, mm -hmm. because they don't want to keep you to pay you uh, to, to pay too much or nothing, they kicked out half of the, uh, the branch. But you stayed. Uh, no, I had to okay. go. <laughs> okay. I had to go, and effectively, I created my own venture. Okay. So that was my second entrepreneurship. Okay. Uh, at that time, I could see that there was a huge opportunity uh, because banks' assets were trading at 50% value. Okay. But the the borrowers, the companies, were doing perfectly well. So I launched my um, uh, uh, private debt venture, okay. which was backed by two private equity firms. Okay. Uh, we are based in Paris. I was backed by One Two Three Venture, mm -hmm. and interestingly, I know One Two Three. Uh, yeah. 
the founder of what to three venture is now the uh, the founder of Lendix, which is okay. a crowdfunding platform mm, and the other founder uh, was running a family office at that time called Capzanin and okay. now it's one of the major mezzanine providers in, uh, in France they are okay. running about 600 million euros of fund okay. yeah so we are backed by these guys but at that time the, you will not find any institutions happy to put a single euro in your fund. But Everyone was closed for business. But you found. But these guys were private. Okay. Yeah. But that was more like private uh, funds and private equity guys mm -hmm. who understood the situation and uh, and and the opportunity. So. So private market was brand new at that time, created by Christine Lagarde mm -hmm. in July 2008. So effectively, you could lend outside of a bank. Mm -hmm. So we started to find the. Uh, the documents uh, required to get a visa from the French uh, authorities. So we recreated the bank outside of a bank system. Uh, they didn't really know pretty well what it was about. Mm -hmm. The tax regime was still not decided. Okay. So there were a lot of things uh, which were missing, but uh, we made it through. We were given the first uh, visa uh, mm -hmm. to operate. Okay. In, uh, it was in July uh, 2009. Uh, and we're supposed to invest also in debt equity swaps, so uh, for SMEs, so situations where you have a financial uh, imbalance and uh, the financial structure doesn't work, but the company is still uh, generating cash flows, positive cash flows. So after that, I um, had another experience about uh, going through the crisis for every single country in Europe uh, because I was recruited by the team which was leading the spin-off of Lehman Brothers. Okay. Um, the, we were, there were about 20 people based in London. Okay. And my first mandate was uh, to go to see what was going on in Greece. <laughs> I had no clue what it was going on. Um, but essentially we knew that the French banks were still uh, were, were not in good shape over there. So I had to go there with my business card, knock at the door, uh, starting market chats with bankers, trying okay. to understand what was going on. The How was it? Well, it was a precarious equilibrium. Everyone was pretending that it was going fine. Really? But six months later, it was a deeper uh, political crisis. Then, you know, in order to get some financing from IMF and ECB, uh, they were obliged to run a national stress test. So I was in charge of pitching for this exercise. I was not really happy about it because I could see that the stress test had destroyed the entire Irish uh, banking system uh, a year ago. Uh, so we were not given the job, uh, but uh, essentially we started to work for the number one bank. So we became the uh, advisors to the CEOs mm -hmm. and to the key directors of the bank. Really interesting, right? Very interesting. Very interesting to see uh, where they were and also the situation, because there were 18 banks in Greece, so the Greek market was overbanked, just like in every, uh, every country in Europe. Uh, so definitely, after having the stress test, they would not keep 18 banks, they would just merge them. Okay. So I had to face... How many did they keep at the end? Oh, they kept uh, five, six. Whoa, yeah. okay. Yeah. okay. And essentially, the French banks were merged, okay. they were acquired, at a negative price, um, but they were merged into the uh, other existing banks. Okay. And the smaller uh, smaller banks, they were just merged, and there, were, there was no official process to sell. Uh, effectively, it was just like defaulting portfolios to manage. 
but um, it was very weird because the journey was not easy. Uh, essentially, some people were not convinced to even play the game with a stress test. So we had to tell them that they would want to become the number one bank in terms of quality of process and quality of portfolios, so that they would then manage the consolidation of the banking industry, mm -hmm. so they would merge the banks okay. around them. So we worked a lot with them, and I could see uh, you know, uh, the uh, inadequacy of the IT systems for banks. It was amazing. I could see, uh, you know, the letter of credits that were just given to borrowers, but they had no clue how to manage them, how to sort them, uh, whether they would be called upon by, by the, the counterparty of the borrowers. It was a big mess. Uh, but essentially, we finished number one bank. So there was a big difference. <laughs> there was a big difference between us and the number two okay. uh, in terms of provisions. So. In terms of percentage, we were maybe 3-4% better, which means out of 50 billion portfolio, we didn't have to book about 2 billion of euros of provision, right. and the others had. So of course, uh, the banks needed uh, some big uh, refinancing from ECB, mm -hmm. and they kept going. So the time was very bad, because I could see also the lack of financing available to the private economy. Mm -hmm. The French, the Greek state was not functioning at all. They were not paying back the VAT, uh, not even the social, the, you know, the, the healthcare system was working. So just imagine you have working uh, credit of a year and a half, two years, mm -hmm. and everyone in the supply chain does not pay everyone, so everyone stays together, but you can have one year and a half, two years of uh, uh, invoices due. Uh, so that was the situation at that time. Oh my god. Yeah. We're here now. Okay. It's, it's unbelievable. It was amazing, yeah. And uh, they kept sending money to the Greek state, which okay. was just pulling out the money to their, you know, uh, to their staff, to their pensioners. But they were, no money was recirculated to the private economy. So we suggested to create a, a financing agency dedicated mm -hmm. to maintain, support the SMEs and the, the, private, uh, the private corporates. We are not really followed, mm. uh, but um, you know, every six months you could see uh, the number of companies uh, bankrupt, uh, increasing, and uh, the lack of cash in the system. And what is the genesis of this crisis? Um, I guess in Greece it's a bit different uh, mm. than in the other countries. Uh, the state was not out, was completely out of control. Okay. And uh, many aspects were not uh, were not controlled. Uh, first of all, the tax situation of taxpayers, of taxpayers, uh, the register of assets, and you know, at some point, the debt was growing because the economy was financed by debt, but there okay. was no value creation behind that. So, a little bit like there was an unbalance uh, between uh, the amount of financing that the economy needed the real situation uh, in terms of losses of these guys and the type of financing which was that. So on the state side and then of course that converged into the bank side uh, because most of the French, uh, most of the Greek uh, corporates, state corporates, they were losing a lot of money. Okay. And they were kept under the financing of the Greek state. 
uh, or you know they were lent money by the Greek banks because you know they were the biggest corporates in, in Greece. So at some point you could see that there is a, a halt towards debt or the of financing by debt can bring to a country, and essentially also I think there were there was a lot of uh, tax evasion. Uh, and what about Goldman Sachs in this story? <laughs> Uh, I don't want to blame them, uh, <laughs> but I guess the original situation of uh, Greece was a bit uh, misunderstood okay. uh, when they joined the uh, European uh, community. But I would say uh, you cannot prevent Greece from being part of Europe, because to me uh, Athens is really the home, hometown of, the, uh, of Europe okay. and of the mm. democratism. Sure. Uh, So, in order to accept the country, they didn't really pay attention to the right financial uh, indicators, and then that, that kept uh, uh, de de being devastating. Uh, but I would say that Greece, was, it was not the first time that Greece was bankrupt. If you look backwards, Greece has been bankrupt maybe all, almost every 10 years. So, really? So it's not only Goldman Sachs, I okay. guess. We don't want to learn our... Uh, our mistakes. Thank you so much for this uh, testimonial, Agnès. And um, I have a few more questions for, for you. Um, I think you read a lot. Yes, yes I do. <laughs> I do. What is your most inspirational uh, founder? And also I will have another question about uh, some books. But what is, what is your the most inspirational, inspirational founder? Founder of a company. Of company, yeah, of sure. a company. Uh, so now that uh, before I used to look at the US, of course, mm. uh, uh, because we are uh, we have always been attracted by American uh, American founders. Okay. But since I uh, came to Singapore, I started to read about the region and I started to read about the developments uh, in certain countries, like in China. Mm -hmm. And I must say that I have a lot of admiration for uh, Alibaba, uh, the <laughs> company that was created sure. by uh, Jack Ma. Mm. Um, I think these guys have come a long way uh, mm -hmm. to sure. show us a big example of how to, um, to, to run uh, an E-Trade system. I'm very fascinated by what you can do on Alibaba. And to me, uh, that can be the model uh, for the next generation of uh, e-commerce platforms because everything is integrated. So let's aside the technology, because you, as a consumer, as, uh, you, just, you just use it, right? But if you think about it, you can be authenticated, uh, you can place a purchase order, you can source factories which are at the other side of the world, mm -hmm. you can make the payments, and you don't leave the platform, you're still on the same platform. This is incredible. Mm. And now you can find the financing, and you can find insurance products. This guy has reinvented and uh, I would say an e-village where, yeah. you know, in France we, can, we are very proud of our tiny villages where yeah. you can go there, buy your bread, you can go to the library, you buy books, and then uh, you have always two or three uh, bank branches, mm. you may have one insurance company branch, and you find all of that, physically speaking, in the next 200 meters, square meters. Here with uh, Alibaba, you can find the same thing Uh, just on virtual virtual journey, and I think this is remarkable because this is the best way to uh, to reach out to the emerging markets, and they are going to be massively 
massively attacking the emerging markets. You're the first people who said me, Jack Ma is my best founder and he's the best founder and my inspiration. I, I just don't know about his situation when he started this, this business. I must imagine what China was at that time, um, you know, uh, oscillating between a centralized economy with a lot of constraints and this aspiration for, for freedom and for consuming. I guess this guy has started a business of that size uh, in a country where it's not like in the US where you, know, you have freedom of entrepreneurship, you can find financing, you can explain your business ideas and people would buy in mm. and provide you with the financing. This, this guy has started a fantastic platform in a country where everything was closed around. Yes. And I think they had to recompose the framework mm. for, for having the real business logic. But this guy is a, is a hustler, really. Because I, I heard some, some different stuff about, about this guy. He failed 10 times in Harvard because he sent a, a, an, an application to Harvard and no, they didn't want, uh, they didn't want uh, to him. And um, also he was a, an English teacher. Uh, when, when Burger King arrived in, uh, in China, he was the only guy who was uh, rejected from, from Burger King. And um, yeah, he, he tried many things and Alibaba worked. And that worked. Mm. Um, but that reminds me of um, uh, 2000, the internet, the internet time, because mm. uh, in 2000 you had a lot of uh, young guys doing their MBAs in Harvard, mm -hmm. and after their uh, summer break, they would mm. not go back to Harvard because they were made an offer by a startup and uh, they were just thinking, this is the chance of my life. Why am I, <laughs> why do I want to, uh, to get a diploma? I just, uh, I just stay there. Uh, so effectively, uh, I don't think getting the best diploma is really indicative of your journey as an entrepreneur. No, it's, yeah. That's for You're sure. Right. Um, but that's really funny that uh, it created such an empire mm. uh, in a very closed, to me it was the closest economy ever. Um, so yes, we, uh, we are learning a lot from what he's doing and, and now you know, he even tries to push the financing so that he, the companies that buy and sell on, his, uh, on the platform mm -hmm. can buy and sell more using this working capital line. So it's the, to me it's the best e-commerce platform you can find with this integration of all the, the functions. Mm. I think you are true. I think you are totally true. I should, uh, I should buy some stocks from Alibaba. <laughs> <laughs> so now the quality of the products, um, I have some discussions about them uh, mm -hmm. because my Chinese teachers usually tell me... Uh, oh, you took some Chinese Yeah, lessons. and they are based in Wuhan. Okay. So they agree with me, uh, Alibaba's products like sometimes quality and uh, you, you don't buy what you, you don't get what you buy, really. Okay. So I think the, per, per se, there is not the international standard of trade that you should expect, okay. um, which uh, you know leaves uh, to other people the uh, capacity to, to come up with an alternative. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Really interesting. And what about the the most impactful book you read before? Um, recently, mm -hmm. um, I think um, when, when I came to uh, to Asia. Um, mm -hmm. I thought I had, I had to learn 
and um, I went to the, the INSEAD library and I was just trying to see what, the, what they were teaching to their students, what they were giving them uh, to read. Um, because uh, I think uh, reading really changed according to the times mm, you, sure. you are in school mm, and, mm. and essentially um, talking about disruption uh, or talking about Asia was really what I wanted to read. Uh, so I pick, picked up two books. One was about emotional intelligence, mm -hmm. uh, how to resist in the corporate by making sure that your emotional intelligence plays in your favor. Um, but the one book that I really liked, and which was a really big book, uh, it was on China by Kissinger. Okay. And the book depicts all the history and the behavior of the Chinese uh, political guys, but also uh, in light with uh, their relationship with uh, the U.S., okay. which was fascinating because it's, uh, there's always been uh, a kind of a dance, I like you, I don't like you, and I don't know you. Uh, catch me if you can. Catch me if you can. Uh, but uh, that was very interesting to, to, to understand the developments of the relationship between the two countries and also the, the, the big uh, change in the Chinese economy because these guys made uh, huge improvements to bring uh, people out of the poverty level. So, yeah, I was. Uh, uh, I spent quite a, a couple of months, I think, reading this really? book. Yeah, it's it's a huge book, I guess. <laughs> huge book. Um, but at least, you know, I got some uh, good feeling about uh, what, what uh, China was about and the, the role also in the region, uh, the role in the uh, Chinese Sea and so on. Um, because when you read what's going on in newspapers, it's not really clear what the situation yeah. comes from, right? Um, maybe it's false. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it's wrong, yeah, completely. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Depending on where you are, uh, you're going to have one side of the story only. Uh, so yeah, recently this this is this book that I I really uh, bring me uh, brought me um, a lot of ideas and uh, also uh, meaning about how the the region can develop going forward. Okay. I should have a look on uh, on this book definitely. I can lend it to you. Okay, thank <laughs> you. It's a big one. <laughs> and. Last question, what is the, the advice that you give to a millennial who wants to, to build his own business? Uh, right after school? Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> right after school. Uh, I think I would just uh, tell him to do it, uh, if, he, if, he really, uh, if he's really keen on doing it. Uh, okay. Not to hesitate between a high-paying job, and, uh, but then to learn from every moment. Okay. Uh, it could be, you know, because he, he would succeed, but he, most most of the time he would not, mm -hmm. uh, due to the statistics. I mean. Yeah. Uh, but from the failures, he would learn so much. Then he may be ready to join a bigger corporate and bring value, uh, bring more value mm. than if he had just followed a normal path. Um, I think I started uh, three companies, a big, a big. Uh, too late uh, after the age of 30 um, but my uh, my my view is more uh, if you don't feel like following the process of your big corporate uh, if you want to be happy yeah if you want to be happy in what you do uh, just try a bit what it is to work as an entrepreneur uh, in a small team doesn't mean that you want to be alone I would not recommend to start alone. I would say just be as a team. 
and and learn because um, this is real life. And then you will see whether you like this uh, for one year, two years, three years. Some people start like this and they spend their whole their, 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 their whole career. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some pretty good companies can uh, can emerge from that. So I would say just do it. But then if at some point you don't believe this is the scheme you want to be in for the rest of your life, bring back what you've learned to a corporate. Okay. But do it. First. But do it. Just do it. Okay. Thank you so much, Agnès, You're welcome. for this, You're welcome, for this testimony. Thank you. If you're lucky enough to be graduating today with not a fucking idea of what you're going to do with your future, nobody's ever been luckier than you. Please recognize it.